0: There are some wonderful prayers in the Bible, aren't there? And one of the great prayers, I think, that the Apostle Paul prays is in Ephesians. And we looked at it, I think, just a couple of weeks ago. Just let me remind you from Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If love for one another is going to flourish in our church, then we must be more rooted deeply in love. In other words, becoming a loving person means that we need to sink the roots of our life deep, deep, deep down into the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus. Being loved by Christ is the basis of what it means to become loving people. And the root that we send down into that ground is the faith, the certainty that we are loved by God. As I've pondered the way that God loves us in Christ and the different ways that the Bible sort of tries to present that or explain that to us, I've seen four ways that the depth of Christ's love for each one of us is revealed. I don't know whether you've ever wondered or asked yourselves the question, um, how we know the depth of someone's love for us? How do we know the depth of someone's love for us? I think there are at least four ways. Firstly, we know the depth of someone's love for us, by what it costs them. So if someone shows me love and they, in doing that they go the extra mile, they go out of their way to love me, I feel more love than if they didn't have to go out of their way to love me. We see the depth of Christ's love for us by the greatness of what it cost him. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. Secondly, we know the depth of someone's love for us by how little we deserve it. So if we've treated someone well all our life, and done all the things that he or she might expect of us, when they love us, that's wonderful. But maybe it's not as deep a love as if they would have loved us if we've Spent most of our life offending them or ignoring them or shunning them. The more undeserving we are to receive love, the more amazing the fact that we are loved so deeply. See, we see the depths of Christ's love in relation to how undeserving we are to be objects of that love. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 5? He says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, God died for us. We didn't deserve him to die for us, but nonetheless, he did. Thirdly, we know, don't we, the depths of someone's love for us by the greatness of the benefits we receive in being loved. So if someone helps us pass an exam, we'll feel loved. If we're helped to get a job, then we'll feel loved in a different way. If we're helped to escape sort of an oppressive captor, then we'll feel loved in yet a different way. But if we're rescued from eternal torment and given a place in the presence of God with fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore, we will know a depth of love that surpasses all other love, won't we? We see the depth of Jesus' love by the greatness of the benefits we receive by being loved by him. So, for example, in 1 John, we're reminded how great is the, f- the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. What an amazing benefit to be adopted into God's family as God's child. Why? Because Jesus died for us. Such amazing love. And then lastly, we know the depth of someone's love for us, don't we? By the freedom with which they love us. So if a person does good things for us because some other person is making them do that when they don't really want to, then we don't think probably their love for us is very deep. Love is deep in proportion to liberty. So, for example, if an insurance company uh, pays you £40,000 because your spouse dies, you don't usually marvel at how much that company loves you, do you? I mean, they had to do it. That was part of the agreement you entered into them. But imagine this. If a member of your home group makes you a meal for every day for a month, someone else comes and calls you on the phone every day, and then a third person makes sure that they visit you once a week for uh, uh, several weeks, then you'll call that love, won't you? Because it's free and it's willing. We see the depth of Christ's love for us In his freedom. What does he say in John's Gospel? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? You see, it's as we consider God's extraordinary love for us in Christ that God will answer Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, that we would be more and more rooted and grounded in Christ's love and have power to comprehend, to understand the height and depth and the length and breadth of his love. In order that we might become like him in his love for us. So today, I want to spend a little bit of time thinking about the depth of Christ's love for us revealed in its costliness. Kim, I wonder if you could put up our reading again, please. A great reading, isn't it? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's going to stay up there for a bit because there are four things I want us just to notice from those few words. The first thing to notice is that Paul is showing us the depth of Christ's love for you. Verse 2, what does he say? He says, Christ loved you and gave himself. The giving of himself is the demonstration of his love. His love. Second, notice that the cost of this love was himself, his life. It wasn't just his money or his time or his energy, or inconvenience, or even suffering. It was the full extent of sacrifice. Christ gave himself. And then notice, thirdly, that this love and this self-giving was for you. For you. What does it say? Christ loved you and gave himself. He gave himself for you. And then fourthly, notice. Notice that God the Father was delighted with this act of self-sacrificing love. Verse 2 again, Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You see, when God bowed down over the love that his son poured out for us on the cross, it was a fragrant aroma to him. Isn't that beautiful? God loves the Son's love of us. I don't know about you, when you are so used to thinking about something that is so spectacular, it can sort of lose its impression, can't it? It loses its power to some extent, and we quite rightly, we talk about the love of God all the time, don't we? But it's easy, in, because it trips off the tongue, at least for me, I don't know about for you, you're probably much better than you are than I am. But for me, you know, I lose that understanding and that real comprehension of what the love of God is for me. And so I'd like us just to think a little bit about a, a smaller example of love, a lesser thing, in order that when we come back to think about the enormity of God's love for us, we might see it afresh or anew. Is that okay? And in doing that, I want to share with you a very old story that I guess many of you might have heard. It's a story that Chuck Colson um, told many years ago uh, about a group of American prisoners who, in during the Second World War, were uh, made to do hard labor in a prison camp. And all that these prisoners would do, uh, when they got up every day, they'd just spend the whole day digging with shovels. They had to give the shovels back in. They'd go back and sleep, and the next day they'd just come back and they'd just dig. That was their hard labor. They just had to dig. There was no purpose in it. They just had to dig. Give the sh- shovels back, and then it would happen time and time again. One evening... There were 20 soldiers standing in a line, and the guard counted the, uh, the, sho- uh, the shovels and was really angry with the 20, because there were only 19 shovels. And he was really angry really quickly. And he said that unless the person who had misled, who had lost that other shovel stepped forward, he was going to shoot five of those prisoners. There was about a five or ten second, tense silence. And then one 19-year-old boy stepped forward with his head hung low. Immediately, the guard whisked him to one side, shot him dead, and came back to the said, let that be a lesson to you. If anybody else loses a shovel in the future, the same will happen to you. And off they went. The prisoners recounted the shovels, of course there were 20. The guard had miscounted. That young lad had given up his life for his friends. Can you imagine the emotions that must have filled those other prisoners as they knelt over his body? In those five or ten seconds of silence, that young man had weighed the whole of the future life in the balance. A future wife, an education, a new car, children, a career, fishing with his dad. And yet he chose death in order that others might live. You remember Jesus saying in John's Gospel, "'Greater love has no one than this.' that one lay down his life for his friends. To love is to choose suffering for the sake of another. Jesus loved you in this way too, but oh, so much more than that young 19-year-old. Let's consider the life that Jesus sacrificed for you. Well, Jesus was young too, wasn't he? He was about 33 years old. His ministry had been about three years, and he was cut off, as we say, before his prime. Second, he was the oldest son of a widowed mother. And one of the last acts of his life was to see that she was taken care of. You'll remember, when Jesus saw his mother, John writes, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. You see, the life that Jesus was giving up for you was young, absolutely. And from a human standpoint, it was a life needed by his mother. Thirdly, Jesus was the most kind and caring and wise and courageous man who has ever lived. We read in 1 Peter, he committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Even his enemies could find no fault in him. Remember, Pilate said, I find no guilt in him. So the life he gave for us was no ordinary life of human value. And that would have been great enough. But a life of perfectly balanced joy and sorrow, tenderness and toughness, justice and mercy, grief and anger, speech and silence, prayer and action. This life of all the lives that have ever lived was the most valuable life. The most worthy of living, the least worthy of dying. This is the life he gave for you that you might live. What's more, he was the son of God, which means he was God as well as man. United to his human nature was a divine nature in the mysterious unity of one person. The dignity and worth of this life was not just relatively superior to human lives. This life, Jesus' life, was of infinite value. Not the way other humans are of value, but the way that God is of infinite value. Namely, is the basis of all human value. We have value to the degree that we reflect the image of God. But that means that if the image has so much value because of the original, how much more value must belong to the original? You see, with Jesus, with this life, Jesus went to the cross for you. That's how much it cost to cover our sins against the holiness of God. And he paid it willingly so that we could live. And then lastly, as the Son of God was supremely loved, By his Father in heaven. You'll remember, God said, This is my loved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And consider now not only uh, the life that Jesus sacrificed for us, but let's consider also just for a moment the sacrifice that was involved. To get to the point where he could die, Jesus had to plan it. He left the glory of heaven, didn't he, and took on human nature so that he could hunger and get weary and in the end suffer and die. The incarnation was the preparation for the nails of the cross. That 19-year-old soldier was a wonderful, was a beautiful picture of love. But compared to Jesus, he was only a picture. His death was quick and relatively painless. Jesus' death was one of the worst kinds of torture devised for human pain. So when in our reading from Ephesians 5, it says Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, we really didn't ought to breeze over the words, gave himself up. His love is great in proportion to the costlessness of his sacrifice. And his sacrifice was horrendous. so what? And with this I'll finish. So what? I want to leave you two words by way of a suggested response as each of us seeks to be the imitators of God that we're called to be. My first word is dwell. can I encourage you to dwell in the extraordinary love that God lavishes upon us in Christ Jesus? Dwell means consider it, think about it, thank God for it, pray about it, rejoice in it, believe it. Understand it. Dwell in it always. Dwelling is about being. It's not about acting. Dwelling in the truth of God's amazing love will enable us to be more and more firmly rooted and grounded, established in that love. Which then leads into my second word, which is live. Can I encourage you to live a life of love which flows out of the extraordinary love that God lavishes upon us in Christ Jesus? Live for Jesus wherever you find yourselves every day. This love is not just for Sundays. It needs to permeate every aspect of who we are wherever we find ourselves, no matter who we're with or what we're doing. So I wonder, will you commit to dwell in and live out of the extraordinary love that God lavishes upon us in Christ Jesus. If you do, then Paul's testimony from Galatians 2 chapter 20 will increasingly become ours. Paul says there, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. May those words be true for each one of us, more true in the coming days. Amen.